Welcome to Making Footprints, Not Blueprints, a regular podcast about matters philosophical and religious. My name is Andrew James Brown, and despite being myself an atheistically inclined freethinker, I'm also the minister to the Unitarian Church in the city of Cambridge, UK. The title of this podcast is borrowed from the philosopher Herbert Fingeret, who, in his book, The Self in Transformation, offered us studies that were outcomes rather than realised objectives, which were offered to the reader as an encouragement to make intellectual footprints, not blueprints. This podcast tries to proceed in a similar fashion and takes seriously an insight of the poet A.R. Ammons, who felt that true human freedom only comes when we have understood that full scope always eludes our grasp, that there is no finality of vision, that we have perceived nothing completely, and that, therefore, and thankfully, tomorrow a new walk is a new walk. Welcome to this week's New Walk. Adopting the role of umpire and letting the role of player go. In this final episode of Series 1, I'd like to draw your attention to a tension that has long existed between, on the one hand, me as an individual person committed to a certain kind of open-ended, philosophical and religious way of being in or moving through the world, and, on the other hand, me in my public role as a minister of a very small liberal religious community in Cambridge, UK. During this podcast series, necessitated solely by the COVID-19 pandemic, which has closed the church for face-to-face meeting for over a year, I have taken the opportunity to try to sum up some of the main ideas and themes in my own thinking over the past 20 years. Given that they have been written very much in isolation, and certainly in a situation detached from the former weekly life of my local community, it should not be surprising that they have represented me very much in my role as a player, a player for a religious and philosophical position that I have variously called Christian atheist, religious naturalist, ecstatic humanist and new materialist. These podcasts have been, if you like, examples of me going out to bat explicitly for this team. During this pandemic crisis, one which I might add is far from being over, I'm aware that many of you have had little choice but to do something similar with your own philosophy of life as you've sought to find a way through these uncertain and deeply unsettling times. And now, as the chances of being able to return to -to face-to-face meetings improve, and people begin to think once again about how to do things together in the future, this need carefully to think through, better articulate and firm up our own personal philosophies and understandings of religion has only served to make more visible than ever before the hyper-plural nature of my own liberal religious community. The old 19th and early 20th century idea that such a community could or would 
more or less completely share the philosophy or religion that happened to be held by the current minister is now completely dead and gone. To deny this reality would be to engage in the equivalent of railing against the rising or the setting of the sun. Contemplating this reality over the past few months has persuaded me that, from now on, when I am acting in my role as a minister, I must simply stop being a player, and that another way of proceeding ministerially must urgently be adopted. What I think that way is, or, or might be, I'll come to in a second. But first I need to be clear that there's no way I can actually stop being a player, because my own personal philosophical and religious wages really do count for me. This is especially true for someone like me who's been significantly shaped by philosophies and religions that are, broadly speaking, existentialist in outlook. However, as will be clear from my foregoing remarks, what I find I must simply do as a player is never going to be precisely the same as what each individual member of my own local liberal religious community thinks they must simply be doing as a player. This has, of course, always been true, but on a number of occasions during the pandemic, this disjunction has become unhelpfully foregrounded, and I confess that I have too often allowed myself to be drawn into philosophical and theological competition rather than facilitating genuine, open-ended conversation. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. My misstep here far easier to make on Zoom meetings than when meeting face to face, have helped me see more clearly than before that from now on when it comes to articulating my own philosophical and religious wages, i.e. actually going out to bat for them, this is something I need to do independently of the local liberal religious community where I am minister. To this end I will continue my personal blog and record a podcast now and then, but henceforth they will stand as purely personal expressions of my current thinking and not as necessarily saying anything relevant to, for or on behalf of my local community. If you're reading or listening to this piece, you clearly know where to find my blog and podcast. And should you wish at any time in the future to take a peek or have a listen uh, to what I'm currently thinking about and doing, then you'll know how to do that. However, as of today, I will no longer be distributing direct links to them via church communications. Given this decision, what is it that I think I might now usefully do when I'm acting in my role as a minister? Well, to help me suggest an answer, I'm now going to draw heavily on some ideas found in Michael Oakeshott's influential book of 1962, Rationalism in Politics and Other Essays. It seems to me, to use Oakeshott's terms, I must cease to be a player and become instead, quite explicitly, an umpire. Now, as many of you will know, over the past 20 years, I've tried to put open-ended, Socratic-like conversation at the heart of what a liberal religious community should be doing together. And for a couple of years now, I've been struck more and more how what this has actually come to look like on the ground in Cambridge 
is very close to the kind of conversation valued and encouraged by Oakeshott. He thought that in such open-ended conversations, quote, The participants are not engaged in an inquiry or debate. There is no truth to be discovered, no proposition to be proved, no conclusion sought. They are not concerned to inform, to persuade or to refute one another, and therefore the cogency of their utterances does not depend upon their all speaking in the same idiom. They may differ without disagreeing. Of course, a conversation may have passages of argument, and a speaker is not forbidden to be demonstrative. But reasoning is neither sovereign nor alone, and the conversation itself does not compose an argument. In conversation, facts appear only to be resolved once more into the possibilities from which they were made. Certainties are shown to be combustible, not by being brought in contact with other certainties or with doubt, but by being kindled by the presence of ideas of another order. Approximations are revealed between notions normally remote from one another. Thoughts of different species take wing and play round one another, responding to each other's movements and provoking one another to fresh exertions. Nobody asks where they have come from or on what authority they are present. Nobody cares what will become of them when they have played their part. There is no symposiarch or arbiter, not even a doorkeeper to examine credentials. Every entrant is taken at its face value and everything is permitted which can get itself accepted into the flow of speculation. And voices which speak in conversation do not compose a hierarchy. Conversation is not an enterprise designed to yield an extrinsic profit, a contest where a winner gets a prize, nor is it an activity of exegesis. It is an unrehearsed intellectual adventure. It is with conversation as with gambling. Its significance lies neither in winning nor in losing, but in wagering. Properly speaking, it is impossible in the absence of a diversity of voices. In it, different universes of discourse meet, acknowledge each other, and enjoy an oblique relationship which neither requires nor forecasts their being assimilated to one another. Unquote. Now, with this kind of conversation in mind, as I try to lay out for you what I think as an umpire I need to be doing, you will hear Oakeshott, gently paraphrased and sometimes silently quoted, again and again. I realise that one of my key ministerial roles, especially in the increasingly fraught nationalistic culture war in which we all currently find ourselves, is not to inflame religious passion and give it new objects to feed upon, but instead to inject into the activities of already too passionate men and women an ingredient of moderation. To restrain, to deflate, to pacify and to reconcile. Not to stoke the fires of desire, but to damp them down. I can see ever more clearly how important it is to make it clear that, although I do not believe myself to be an agent of a supernatural god, 
or some other benign providence, nor a custodian of moral law or an emblem of a divine order. I am still able to alert people, both inside and outside my local community, to the existence of something shared, which they might still be able to recognise as being valuable in the ordinary course of their own religious, and for that matter, political lives. I also recognise that I need to ensure that within my own local liberal religious community, the aforementioned restraint upon passionate religious belief is not imposed upon its members by my own inappropriate suggestion or cajolery, or by any other means than by, if not legally binding laws as in the case of the nation-state, then at least by the congregation's own shared and collectively agreed upon local bylaws and patterns of, broadly speaking, liberal Christian, humanist and radical enlightenment-inspired behaviour. I can see that into the heat of our engagements, into the passionate clash of our own beliefs, into our own individual or shared enthusiasm for saving the souls of our neighbours or of all humankind, week by week it is important for me as an umpire constantly to bring into play the scepticism which most people neither have the time nor the inclination to do for themselves. In more poetic terms, I have come to see that my job as minister is now, therefore, primarily to provide people with something like the cool touch of the mountain that one feels in the plain, even on the hottest summer day. Or, to leave that metaphor behind, to be like the governor, which, by controlling the speed at which its parts move, keeps an engine from racketing itself to pieces. Additionally, I have recognised that my role as minister must include finding ways to strengthen already existing, but occasionally forgotten, congregational structures, which ensure that no single person is ever given, or is allowed to take, too much power or opportunity for advancing their own favourite religious or political projects. In short, I can more and more see the value of maintaining a liberal religious congregation whose lowercase c conservatism imposes upon all its members an orderliness without unduly directing the enterprise of any individual member's own free thinking and seeking, and which at the same time concentrates all our duties to our traditions, rules and bylaws in such a fashion that in our conversation together there is still plenty of room left for genuine delight and discovery. The hope is, and remains, that everyone who becomes a member is prepared to accept such an ecclesiastical order, not because they believe it to represent some unassailable religious truth, but merely because it helps restrain any indecent competition from breaking out between our different substantive religious wages, and which, as Hume once said, also helps to moderate the plague of a too diligent clergy. Now, in order to bring this piece to a satisfactory enough, though necessarily provisional, close, I need to return to the player-umpire distinction, a note that Oakeshott also said this, quote, 
An umpire, who at the same time is one of the players, is no umpire. Rules about which we are not disposed to be conservative are not rules, but incitements to disorder. The conjunction of dreaming and ruling generates tyranny. Unquote. I hope this short passage helps clarify why, as a minister, I must cease to be a player and now only act as an umpire whose primary concern is not for my own religious and philosophical dreams and wages, but instead for the well-being and maintenance of the arrangements, rules and bylaws governing the kind of conversation I've outlined above. Conversations in which thoughts of different species take wing and play round one another, responding to each other's movements and provoking one another to fresh exertions. Knowing this, were I now to continue to act as a player within my own liberal religious community, I would dangerously be conjoining dreaming and ruling, something which could only serve to make my own deeply held religious and philosophical dreams and wages incitements to disorder. And that, my friends, can only lead to tyranny, something I completely and absolutely abhor. So I hope you will understand why, henceforth, when I am in my role of minister, I shall do my level best to leave my own bat behind in the pavilion and only don the white coat and Panama hat of an umpire. I trust this significant change of emphasis will help to ensure that there will still be plenty of room left for genuine delight and discovery in the coming years. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Making Footprints, Not Blueprints podcast. So, farewell for now, and remember, tomorrow a new walk is a new walk. See you on the path.